Welcome to Bridging Chicago, a podcast that aims to connect our listeners to Chicago's business, community, cultural, and charity leaders. Brought to you by the SATC Solutions Center. You can connect with us on Instagram or Twitter where our handle is at Bridging Chicago. For more information, including our email, visit us online at satcsolutions.com. Be sure to rate and subscribe to Bridging Chicago on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this podcast. Hello, and thank you for listening to another episode of Bridging Chicago. My name is Savannah Roundtree. I'll be your host today. And joining me today, we have Nora Gaynor, the Director of Partnerships and Tourism at the Art Institute of Chicago. Nora, thank you so much for joining us today. Delighted to be here. Um, So we're pretty much going to jump right in. Um, I'm really interested to talk about the Art Institute, but I want to back up a little bit. Um, I heard around the grapevine from one of my other colleagues that you actually grew up in Beverly, which is a neighborhood of Chicago. Um, So... Obviously, you have lived in Chicago most of your life. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, um, so you like it in Chicago? I love Chicago. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I had a brief stint um, thinking that I wanted to live in Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I came back, I, I kissed the sidewalk. Um, Chicago's amazing. Yeah. Um, from the people that I know that grew up in Beverly, they have like a really... Um, a pride in not only Beverly, but Chicago. Did you feel that growing up as well? Yeah, it's, um, it is, it's the best of a lot of what Chicago has to offer. It's a really tight knit, uh, beautiful neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And the, the geography and landscape where I grew up is, you know, big lawns in front, big lawns in back. You went to the local Ridge Park every day after school to go ice skating during the winter or Mm -hmm. up to Beverly Park to play during the summer. Um, We all define our, the the Catholics that grew up from that area define themselves on what parish you're from. and everyone is very um, cognizant of their ethnicity around being Irish or Italian or mm-hmm. um, it's uh, predominantly when I grew up, there were a lot of Irish people. Yeah, um, I've been to Beverly a few times. And I really just enjoy the uh, sort of community atmosphere that you feel down there. It's a real um, close-knit neighborhood. You can really feel that. Um, and then so you went to the University of Illinois and you studied... Uh, art history with a minor in Italian, which it looks like both those, um, you know, obviously eventually worked out for you, but I feel like art history is sort of that major that everyone jokes about, like not being able to get a job or whatever. Um, So what drew you to art history originally? Oh, I was always fascinated. I had an uncle, my mom's brother, who worked at the Art Institute uh, when I was growing up, Tim Lennon. And I always was so fascinated by his his work and going down to the museum. Um, I had a big um, lust for travel and mm-hmm. um, was was really drawn to um, other cultures. And so when I started at uh, U of I, I thought art history would be a, a great major. And it really, you know, when you study art history, you're just studying basically politics and history mm-hmm. of the time. Um, and so it was a great... 
major, um, but when I got out and uh, my first job was actually at the Art Institute. Oh, really? And um, checking coats <laughs> and taking tickets. Yeah. <laughs> and I realized very quickly that my dad was right. There yeah. was no money in art history. <laughs> and so um, my next career was in the hospitality mm-hmm. industry. Yeah. So I saw that you um, did a lot of work in marketing hospitality originally um I also saw that you I think did you spend a year studying abroad in Italy what was that like so my uh I'm one of six children okay wow uh, I'm one of five so I get it there you go yeah (laughs) um so which was very common I didn't realize till I went to U of I that um being one of six children um, had me marked as either Irish or Catholic. Those mm-hmm. were the first two <laughs> questions, of which I am both. And uh, so my older sister went to U of I as well and mm-hmm. studied in Siena. And um, she's been, as all my sisters are, um, great influences on my life. Yeah. And she lived with an amazing family. And so when it was time to come, my dad had kind of gotten his head around that place, that family. Um, okay. So it uh, the path it was the path of least resistance, and right. he doesn't want to go study <laughs> in Tuscany. Um, so went there for what was supposed to be three months, ended up being almost a year, and um, came home with an Italian boyfriend and the whole trope. Um, and it was just it really um, was a very defining moment um, in my life that mm-hmm. kind of influenced um, a lot of my uh, personal and professional choices. Yeah. After. So then you get into uh, marketing, looks like mostly hotels, hospitality. What was that transition like? Was it sort of like the I just need a job that's not checking coats, or were you specifically looking to get into that field? So um, the, the what I knew of the hospitality business were, were um, basically bellmen and front office uh-huh. desk people. Um, yeah, I, I feel had like that's what most people have. That's who you interact with when you stay at a hotel, right? So when um, I was thinking of careers, um, I a hundred percent was not thinking of hotels, but I met. Um, one of my early mentors in my career, um, a gentleman named Robert Allegrini, who is um, currently the honorary consul of the um, municipality of San Marino and was um, working at Swiss Hotel at the time. Mm -hmm. And he uh, offered me a job in public relations for, um, for the hotel. And he was amazing. We sat down and he said, um, if you're in this job in two years, I'm going to fire you. It's a job you have for two years. <laughs> you work, you get your contacts, mm-hmm. and you move on. And so it it opened me up to an entire um, universe of possibilities. I think mm-hmm. the, the hospitality sector is incredible. Um, and I traveled the world and was was in that work for about the next 15 years. Yeah, so like you said, did, I assume this involved a lot of travel, the sort of work you were doing. Tell me a little bit more about that. So the first um, company I worked for was called Swiss Hotel, mm-hmm. and uh, there's still a beautiful Harry Weiss-designed Swiss Hotel here in Chicago, right on the Chicago River. Um, and it's almost the, the boomerang to where we are now um, at 323 East Wacker. Mm-hmm. And it... Um, 
at the time, we had hotels in New York and L.A. and South America, and so I was the regional head of marketing, so got to travel to Quito, Ecuador, and Lima, Peru, and we were headquartered in uh, Zurich when I started. And we had what um, are called ID90 benefits. Um, Because we were owned by an airline, Mm -hmm. we could um, buy go anywhere for 10% of the ticket. Oh, my gosh. And so (laughs) I could decide on a Monday that on a Friday I wanted to go to Bucharest to go to my friend's bachelorette party. Um, And... At that time, so I did a lot of personal travel mm-hmm. at that time as well as travel for work. Yeah, I mean, that's so. an amazing benefit to have, especially when you're just sort of starting your career and maybe don't have as many like ties down to staying in one place all the time. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, so obviously you didn't have a background in marketing or hospitality before any of this. So what was it like to sort of learn that job on your feet? Well, it's... Um Marketing and ho- hospitality is, I think, more of an innate, an innate um, outlook on mm-hmm. life. And I come from a large, warm, uh, very social family. Mm-hmm. So it's something that came very naturally to me, mm-hmm. um, the hospitality side of it. Yeah. And, um, you know, the marketing acumen definitely grew along with the time I spent um, in the organizations I was with. But uh, marketing also is a lot of, of common sense and set of questions. Yeah. And you've also been working in the marketing field during a time where technology really ramped up. And um, so did that have a big effect on the way you do your job at all? Well, I mean... I, uh, I'll be 50 in October. Wow. You look great. Well, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) It's radio. Perfect. (laughs) Um, and I mean, I didn't have a cell phone. I tell, you know, I have, Mm -hmm. uh, I have three young kids and, um, the amount of space and energy my 11 year old takes up in my life for getting a cell phone is absurd. Um, but to be able to say to them that, I didn't have a cell phone until I was 25, you know, I didn't have email when I started working. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so it, um, it's interesting how, um, I mean, I think everyone, um, as generations progress, everyone has a different relationship with, with technology. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm super grateful. I grew up without social media. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I can't imagine being in like middle school and having social media. Yeah. Like it was bad enough. I don't need exactly follow me home and all of that. Yeah. It's, it's rough. Um, so of course, I mean, customer relationship management and, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was one of the first super users of our, um, database content system mm-hmm. when I was at Swiss hotel. And, um, so yeah, I mean, technology has never, I've never been in the tech space from a business model perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is something that definitely I've had to keep, keep on top of. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone is just like still trying to figure out the best ways to use all the social media to um, market and everything. So I just want to jump in now to, it looks like you've been at the Art Institute, I guess for a second time now for um, just over 10 years, which is a really long time, I think, to stay in one place. Um, it seems like especially in the sort of tourism marketing field, I think you see a lot of movement there. So um, I don't know what, 
initially prompted your move to the Art Institute? So this month is my 10-year ten, ten anniversary, oh, which... a great time to be recording. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I, I cannot believe it. When I, when I got to the museum um, and met people who had been there for 20 and 30 and 40 years, I thought, this place is bonkers. How mm-hmm. are people here for so long? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it's... If you are in the art and culture... Mm-hmm. Um, world in the Midwest, in the U.S., it is one of the best places to work, mm-hmm. period. Um, the the level of excellence and scholarship and access that we have um, is, is unprecedented. So, you know, it started as w- what I thought would be a one or two year gig and then here I am 10 years later um and definitely the role that I'm in has evolved and expanded Mm -hmm. and um recently expanded to include civic and cultural and governmental partnerships which as a lifelong Chicagoan um is was a dream of mine and so it's um it's really a wonderful place to work yeah, I mean, I'm sure for an art history major, it's like the dream. And then you're also getting to use all this experience you've gained in hospitality throughout the years. So I saw that you have been um, sort of spearheading a couple of really interesting projects that the Art Institute is doing. It seems like you have a real focus on um, making sure the Art Institute sort of stays an integral part of the Chicago community, of the Chicago experience for tourists as well. And... Um, I really like, I read a blurb somewhere that says you use creative thinking to solve problems, which I think is um, really brilliant. And so tell me about the, um, is it called Project Windows? Tell me about that. So we, um, when we host large scale exhibitions, um, there is the 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 want that we kind of break outside of our four walls and mm-hmm. make sure that the city uses that moment and celebrates it and kind of weaves in the message into what else is going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, through our research, we know that, um, I call this my tourism's um, uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. <laughs> you know, yeah. people come to Chicago to shop, people right. come to Chicago to eat, and then they come to the museum. So mm-hmm. we, we know that we exist in this ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And so how do we integrate our messaging into the things that people are coming also um, to do right. while they're here? Yeah. Um, and, you know, how do we telegraph what's going on at the museum in these tourist epicenters like um, North Michigan Avenue and Oak Street and State Street um, and um, you know the retail yeah yeah areas and so we partnered with an incredible um, uh, window display artist his name is Stanley Smith and he has a company called Oak Street Design mm-hmm. and he and I have known each other um, since my Swiss Hotel days oh, there you go using those connections yes exactly it's Chicago yeah. that's how things work and so. And he's a huge fan of the museum. So when mm-hmm. I started, we we just kind of said, you know, how can we how can we work together? And so, through his knowledge of the window display community, which is an incredibly vibrant, mm-hmm. creative group of people um, coming out of the School of the Art Institute, 
um, coming out of a lot of you know Columbia and different um, uh, creative universities, and the the love and care that they have for their craft. Mm-hmm. And so we invite um, all of the window display artists mm-hmm. to the museum um, about six to nine months in advance of exhibitions opening and we provide a curatorial overview and um, try and inspire them to mm-hmm. create something um, to bring the museum and the exhibition and the artist to life. Yeah. And so for the Warhol exhibition, for example, we had 30 retailers, including Neiman Marcus and Bloomingdale's and Macy's, um, Blick Art, mm-hmm. Mertz Apothecary, um, uh, Tish Fender, so s- small boutiques and then large-scale retail, um, and the work is really amazing. Yeah, I mean, I walk the streets of Chicago every day, and I obviously see a lot of these window displays, but I honestly had no idea that that was, like, a field, that, <laughs> that was a job that people do just for that. I feel like um, maybe in, like, a lot of smaller towns, you think that's sort of just, like, I don't know, someone who's like working an hourly job sort of like throws that up in between shifts or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, there are some really incredible displays that you can see when you um, walk around the city. Has the, Do you see the window displays? Has there been a favorite one of yours? So we have um, an incredible panel of judges that um, are either in the window display field or civic leaders um, in Chicago that um, choose their favorite and vote, and then we have an awards party. Oh, wow. um, and it's everything from the the curator of the exhibition mm-hmm. chooses the Art Institute um, best pick, and then there are prizes for various other creative mm-hmm. um, best color, best use of light, and. I won't say it's like the Oscars, but people really show up. <laughs> like it's the Oscars for window, window display. display. <laughs> um, and, you know, they love being recognized for yeah. their craft and mm-hmm. for, um, you know, we, um, we're we lucky. We have a special relationship with the Mertz Apothecary. That's right on Monroe down the street mm-hmm. from us. And they always do um, the most really well thought out creative displays. When we did um, the exhibition for Van Gogh's bedroom, Mm -hmm. um, they created a a reproduction of the bedroom using the tiniest little um, uh, pieces of fabric. Oh, wow. And it was an absolute work of art. Mm Yeah, it's great that you guys are recognizing how much work goes into these because so many people walk by them and enjoy them every day, but then just sort of, you know, walk by and go on their way. And it's not like the artists that are creating this sort of can see all the reactions to them. So I love that you guys have like an award ceremony yep. for it. I think that's really great. And then um, a bit of an interesting subject at the moment. I know that um, as a director of partnerships and tourism, you have really spearheaded Um, getting into the global market as well as just in Chicago. Um, And so I'd like to talk a little bit about your China Ready program and then maybe also talk about how you're dealing with it right now with um, sort of in the midst of this COVID-19, I don't know what to call it, a crisis, if you will. Um, So just tell me a little bit about um, what the impetus was for starting that project and how you've been um, dealing with that as it goes on. Sure. So um, 
probably around seven years ago, the um, a the to Chicago. That is the Chicago, the marketing agency for the city of Chicago. Okay started talking about the increase in tourism from China. And this mm-hmm. was spurred on by some travel restrictions being alleviated by the Obama administration. And mm-hmm. so um, the rise of the middle class in China, the loosening of restrictions on visas, kind of created this um, tsunami effect of Chinese tourists globally. Mm-hmm. And um, the U.S. started to see a big jump in the number of um, tourists coming and traditionally most groups came or most Chinese tourists came in large groups um, and then this uh, this opened up what we call individual travel so people mm-hmm. just going on a website booking a week-long stay not coming with a large curated group and usually those travelers tend to have um, be a little bit more affluent and mm-hmm. be able to choose different things that they're able and that they wanted to experience. Mm -hmm. And so we quickly jumped on, um, at the time, um, I would say more removing barriers than doing anything spectacular (laughs) of, you know, making sure that we had translated materials and, um, you know, tours in Mandarin and mm-hmm. were able to have contracts with people um, in in Mandarin. And so mm-hmm. it was, um, we partner with a local um, Chinese tourist organization called China Pro, and okay. we've worked with them for six years. And they were hugely instrumental in identifying barriers that we had within the museum. Um, very, we were early adopters. We were the first museum in the U.S. to have a Weibo social media platform, which is kind of, kind of like a Facebook e. Okay. And then we were also the first museum to have a WeChat um, mm-hmm. page, which WeChat is kind of a mixture between WhatsApp and um, kind of a messaging app okay. that also mm-hmm. has content. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we now have over 100,000 followers, which put in context, because when you talk about numbers with China, mm-hmm. you think 100,000, that's nothing. Right. But compared to um, our, compared to the Met or MoMA or the Louvre, um, we're one of the top in terms of, of followers. Well, yeah, that's great. I know that obviously China has so many more restrictions on their internet usage and everything than we do in the U.S., so I think it's really incredible that you were able to sort of navigate that whole whole field um, quickly and earlier than everybody else and sort of get ahead of that. I think that's really great. Yeah, it's... um, You have to... Some some things you have to do the way that they need them, so... Mm -hmm translating your Facebook page in Mandarin does nothing because they can't get Facebook. Right. And um, Google, for example, so much of uh, the way that organizations um, serve content in other languages is through Google Translate. But um, because there's no Google in China, you have to hard code things. Mm-hmm. So we take special steps within our website to hard code information so that when people search for it, they can find it. Um, as opposed to dynamically translating, which then mm-hmm. they can't find it. Right. So, um, but it's a lot of like peeling the onion back and mm-hmm. figuring out that we have to do that right. and making sure that we make it as easy as possible. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so recently I saw that the Louvre just reopened after closing for three days because of COVID-19. And so what has been, um, have you seen any reaction at the Chicago Art Institute? And sort of what are you guys doing? So it's it's still early, mm-hmm. early days. Um, and we are in close contact with all of our peer institutions, um, all of the other, um, you know, whether it's the Joffrey, the Auditorium Theater, the Harris Theater, the Steppenwolf, mm-hmm. the Shedd Aquarium, the Adler, you know, everybody's talking yeah. to each other. And so far we've had maybe two groups that had reservations um, mm-hmm. for visits cancel. Mm-hmm. But other than that, we haven't seen any direct fallout. Um, so we're taking every necessary precaution. Mm-hmm. But there's not really much that we, we know at this point. Yeah, I think everyone's just on the, everyone wash your hands and mm-hmm. uh, don't cough on anyone sort of stage. But I just think it's um, an interesting part of your job that a lot of people probably wouldn't think you would have to um, care about or think about when they see that you're just, you know, dealing with marketing and the Art Institute. But, you know, when I saw that, you know, the Louvre closed, I was like, that's just not really things that you think about as being part of someone's job. Right. Um, and so as you've been talking, you talk about how you've been coordinating with all the Chicago museums and you have your other contacts. It seems like a lot of your job is really navigating all of these different sort of contact circles. And you mentioned uh, briefly getting involved with uh, Chicago civic engagement. And so just tell me a little bit more about entering that space, what that was like. Well, um, as a a gainer girl growing up on the South Side and living um, here, it's always been something that's been a part of my life. and uh, both of my parents are very civically engaged and always um, a part of something bigger. Mm-hmm. And the Art Institute, which is why it, um, it continues to be a, somewhere that I respect very much um, working with, is very, very civically minded. Um, we have kind of a mantra of, you know, the Art Institute of Chicago for Chicago. Okay. And we are very committed to, um, we don't take the fact that we're so privileged to have the collection that we have, Mm -hmm. um, and we don't take that for granted. And um, a lot of what, when I think civic for the museum, it's about access. Mm -hmm. And um, we have always been free for kids 13 and under, but recently also extended that to teens from Chicago. So if you are a teen, in Chicago, you are free at the museum up until 17. And then um, a couple of months ago, we announced a uh, partnership with City Colleges of mm-hmm. Chicago that have almost 70,000 students um, who now also receive free admission nice. to the Art Institute. Yeah. So, um, you know, just working to ensure that um, if you're from Chicago, um, that you are, you feel that the Art Institute is home. Mm-hmm. Do you find that in different areas of marketing, you have to market the Art Institute differently? Are there different parts of it that you highlight to different areas, different groups of people? Absolutely. Um, for the for tourists, mm-hmm. it's all about icons, okay. and that is what um, 
when you walk in, when you see American Gothic, you know you're in Chicago. Mm-hmm. When you see the Syrah, you know, you know you're in Chicago. And the icons are what really, if I'm, if, if I'm a tourist, um, that's what I'm coming to see. Right. Because Gotta that personifies. Exactly. For Chicago residents, uh, it's more about exhibitions. So if you are a Chicago resident, a motivator is going to be Monet in Chicago mm-hmm. this summer that opens. Yeah, I'm so excited. May 10th. <laughs> Me too. Um, so that's going to be your motivator. Mm-hmm. Um, Warhol was a big motivator. Our Chicago attendance um, was through the roof, mm-hmm. completely through the roof. So absolutely different yeah. um, demographic segments respond to different messaging. Yeah. Um, have you had a favorite exhibition that the Art Institute has brought in while you've been there? That is a great question. I would say Van Gogh's Bedrooms, mm-hmm. which is kind of like an obvious one, but <laughs> it also, I'm learning every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, it's not that I go and look at the art every day. Some days we kind of go into our offices and go home, but um that that exhibition mm-hmm. taught me more about Vincent Van Gogh and the um, period that he was um, a part of, mm-hmm. and because he and his brother Theo were such prolific um, communicators, they wrote each other letters like every single day. Oh, wow. um, you have such an, an incredible insight into. Mm-hmm what he was thinking at the time and we also have an incredible conservation department Mm -hmm. that has done some really groundbreaking work um, analyzing paintings and they did an installation for Van Gogh that basically took like a microscopic piece of chip of paint off of um, the original bedroom and then showed what the actual colors um, would have been because we know in his letters he talked about the lavender walls and Mm -hmm. the walls are very blue now so um, so I just I learned a lot from that exhibition Mm -hmm. and it was it was one that I went back to again and again and again it sounds like you really fed that art history major part of your brain yeah yeah Um, and do you have a favorite piece that's in like the I don't know what you call it, like the stable installation or just the permanent the collection. The permanent collection. There you go. A piece that I go back to a lot mm-hmm. is um, uh, Mot- Motley's Nightlife, Archibald okay. Motley, who was a Chicago artist. And um, he, uh, his, the, the painting Nightlife is like a snapshot of. Uh, an evening at a jazz club on the south side of Chicago. Um, and it just really is, is I think it captures the moment so well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I go back to it a lot, just kind of trying to um, parse it. Great. Um, I want to shift gears just briefly because I saw something interesting while I was uh, researching your background. You and your husband are co-owners of several farm-to-table restaurants um, in Chicago and the surrounding area. And so I would just like to know how you got into that and um, just, you know, tell me about that. Sure. Yes. Um, 
my husband Ferdia, Ferdia Doherty, is the uh, is such an Irish name. It is <laughs> like the most Irish name. His name actually means man of God, wow. um, which it's is problematic like sometimes. Most yeah. Irish, though. right? Um, so back, um, Ferdia moved here from Ireland in his twenties. Mm-hmm and ha- was in the advertising business and had his own agency. And in 2008, um, it was a small boutique agency and um, in the recession, things just mm-hmm. got really rough. So he closed the agency and we were expecting our first child and talked a lot about, and we're very, very into the local food movement mm-hmm. and uh, we're part of a meat CSA and a vegetable CSA yeah. and we're at the markets all the time. And he, um, one of his former clients, um, TJ Callahan, was um, looking to open his own place and mm-hmm. came to Ferdia and they had they had become friends and said, you know, I want to open my own place. Ferdia said, so do I. So what better time than yeah. the recession um, <laughs> and a new baby on the way? Um, yeah, I mean, just change everything about your life at once. And completely. And get it all over with. Completely. He's fearless. <laughs> um, and so I said, okay, you know, if we're going to do this, it's going to be, it's going to be mission driven. It's going to be a place we would want to go. It's going to mm-hmm. have certain values. And uh, we came up with the farmhouse concept, yeah. which... Um, our first restaurant, which is at um, right at the Brown Line stop on Chicago Avenue um, mm-hmm. between Franklin and Wells, um, will be will be nine years old, which is like 500 in restaurant years yeah. um, in September. And you know when we opened, having you know craft local beer was a thing, uh-huh. and now you go to 7-Eleven and you can get whatever you want. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But we have maintained, um, you know, maintained our values and um, still source as much organic, local, sustainable as possible um, mm-hmm. and have amazing relationships with farmers and a lot of Chicago makers who are um, doing great work. Yeah. And so we have a restaurant in Evanston, Farmhouse Evanston, mm-hmm. and then Farm Bar Lakeview. And our most recent um, addition is Farm Bar in Edgewater on yeah. Granville, right at the Red Line stop. Great. Yeah, I was clicking around the website. I was like, I got to go. I also am a member of many CSAs and yep. uh, spend a lot of time at farmer's markets. So um, it's exactly the kind of thing I love to support. Great. Um, yeah, so co-owner of this like growing restaurant franchise you are the director of partnerships and tourism at the art institute and you're the mother of three children all under 11 yep how like just like how (laughs) you know you just do it yeah Yeah, I mean I'm one of six Mm -hmm. and so I look at my mother and think whenever I think I've got a lot on my plate I think of her and who did everything flawlessly and think mm-hmm. how did she do it yeah um but yeah yeah I think now is kind of a interesting time mm-hmm. you know um we've got uh, everything is kind of at full cylinders yeah. um and you know as a working mom it's mm-hmm. not easy at all yeah. um but I think when we get through um you know in a in, in a couple of years um we'll be happy we kept everything all yeah. the plates spinning yeah 
Yeah, I'm just, I can't imagine. It really sounds like you have many plates spinning. Yeah. I don't know how you manage all of that. Well, I never, when I went, before I had kids, I thought, God, I could never work and have kids. Uh-huh. And then you have one. I thought, oh my God, I could never work and have two kids. And then yeah. you have another one and yeah. you figure it out. Yeah, you just figure it out. So, um, I have a few sort of final wrap-up questions here. And one question I always like to ask is, um, if someone was a young professional entering the field, um, you can choose either maybe marketing or art history, whichever you like. Um, Just what advice would you give to them? Get as much um, experience. I look look back and think, what would I have done more of? Mm -hmm. What would I have done less of? And this is based, of course, on my... Um, my interests and what I value, mm-hmm. um, but I would have traveled even more. Yeah, and I think I traveled a lot for um, what I had. But you don't realize when you um, before you kind of settle in a track or make a decision, um, like having children or um, entering into a serious relationship, how that kind of shapes your time mm-hmm. and to experience as many possible um, uh, countries and cultures and um, jobs as possible. Mm-hmm. I never uh, I never felt that there was one thing. Um, and I know everybody does it differently, but yeah. uh, it's my journey has been very mm-hmm. organic. Um, but if I could have done anything, I realize now, like, I could have spent another year in Italy, or yeah. I could have gone here, <laughs> I could have learned that language. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're starting out, just, you know, don't sweat the small stuff. And mm-hmm. the learning is definitely in the doing. Um, so just do it. Yeah. Um, don't think you have to know something 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, because most people don't. And just give it a give it a go. Yeah, I think that's the sort some of the best advice I've heard on this podcast and sort of in life is that you think everybody else knows what they're doing and they don't. So just do it. You'll be fine as well. <laughs> right. Right. And then um, I also want to ask what your favorite thing to do is in Chicago, or like your favorite part of Chicago. And we can say, you know, aside from the Art Institute, of course. <laughs> Um, definitely getting on my bike and going down to the lake. Um, yeah. I am so excited for, um, maybe just 10 degrees warmer. Yeah. I, uh, but yeah, being, um, getting on my bike, the perfect Saturday starts, you know, getting up early, getting on my bike. Um, there is a, uh, coffee truck sometimes if Ooh, we're lucky nice. from, um, heritage coffee <laughs> mm-hmm. and bikes uh, parked right at the Fullerton Fullerton Beach, basically. Oh, okay, yeah. So um, go down there, get a coffee, sit on the rocks. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a very unique Chicago. Yeah, park. I love going down to the lake. It's the best. You can be in the city and then also at the lake. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And then just uh, finally, what is on the horizon for the Art Institute? So, I mean, it's just Monet all day. Mm-hmm. Um, we are really excited for the the exhibition because he's an artist that so many people connect to. Mm-hmm. And we have an incredible partner. We have incredible partnerships. Um, the Garfield Park Conservatory mm-hmm. is 
is creating a Monet garden. Oh, wow. Um, uh, based on Giverny, and they're doing a living wall that will mimic a water lily's painting. Oh, my gosh. And they're training all their docents um, to give tours about mm-hmm. Monet, so we'll have them over to the museum, and then they'll yeah. um, be giving tours. We um, Half Acre is doing a beer oh, nice. called wow. um, Stacks of Wheat, mm-hmm. which will have the Monet painting, Stacks of Wheat, on the can. Um, so over 200,000 cans of Stacks of Wheat will be out in the... Um, beer universe um, pretty soon we'll be doing some programming with the Bruseum which is a an organization in Chicago a really neat organization um, and they'll be partnering with us on um, kind of beer and Monet Um, and Art on the Mart which Mm -hmm. um, we have a Monet series going up and that launches April 1st on the side of the Merchandise Mart and that'll be every night from 8.30 to 9.30 okay. um, through the summer. And uh, Tish Fender, who I mentioned before, is mm-hmm. doing a, a Monet Earl Grey Lavender Tea wow. um, in celebration of the exhibition. And uh, we're hopefully doing, um, more to come soon, but a, a pop-up restaurant wow. in partnership <laughs> with the Bonhomme Group. Mm-hmm. They have Beatnik on the River, mm-hmm. Beatnik River. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I'll be... Monet all day. Yeah. What dates um, does the Monet exhibit run at the museum? It opens on May 10th, mm-hmm. and it is through the entire summer until September 7th. Okay, great. Yeah, my mom um, is a really big fan of Monet, and so I grew up um, loving Monet as well. So I'm really excited to get to see that yeah. exhibit. Um, thank you, Nora, so much for joining us. I absolutely loved hearing about just, I had no idea how involved the Art Institute was in almost every aspect of Chicago, it seems. So I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. You are welcome, Savannah. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bridging Chicago as produced by the SATC Solutions Center. Nothing contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal, and or professional advice. No professional relationship of any kind is created between you and the podcast host or guest. You are urged to speak with your financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. Furthermore, the opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of SATC Solution Center, SATC Law, or any of its employees. This podcast is created by the hosts and guests' individual capacities. All opinions on this podcast are or have been rendered based on specific facts under certain conditions and are subject to certain assumptions and may not and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including but not limited to or use in or in connection with any investment purposes or legal proceeding. 